Father, fellowship with you is very, very sweet, God, and it brings joy to our soul. And Father, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that because of your love for us, you made a way where we could be with you. And when we're with you, there is blessing and there is joy and there is hope. And Father, would you touch us with that this morning by your Spirit? Would you bring us hope and joy and blessing? Father, we want to hear from you this morning now as we open your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, welcome. Good morning. Glad to see you guys. You know, we're, we're talking about 1 John this morning. This is a new sermon series. We'll be talking about 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. It's about living in the light and love of the gospel. And as I was just sitting there thinking, I've been in St. George for the last two days, and I just want to let you know, there is sunshine out there. <laughs> it's coming again, and it feels really, really good, <laughs> Okay. And that's kind of what First John is about. He wants us to know about the light and the love of the gospel, that whatever we are experiencing in our life, wherever we are, Jesus has made a way to make things better as we have fellowship with the Father. And so you can grab your Bibles and turn to First, Second, Third John. While you're doing that, I just want to give you a few updates. Uh, you know, we kicked off this Lenten season last week. I challenged you guys to begin fasting from something to help you uh, remind you of the cross and Christ's sacrifice for us. And again, we fast not because we're trying to move God's hand or because God likes us better when we do it, but we do it to help increase our worship as we think about the cross and what God has done with us. And so I have several things that I'm fasting from. I've heard from several of you that are doing that. And I would also encourage you to set yourself to, to some devotional uh, regimen over the next couple weeks and days, and I recommended two books to you. One, Journey to the Cross by Paul David Tripp, uh, which is a really good Lenten devotional, as well as O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. That's for the more advanced of us in the room, so if you tried that one, know that that's quite a, quite a deep dive, but a really good book. I've been going through it over the last couple days. All right, so as we look at First John... First John is really going to review for us the basics of Christianity, right? We've, we've kind of had some deep dives in Hebrews on deep theology, but First John brings us back really to the basics of Christianity, what has transpired, what God is inviting us into, what the hopes we can have as we experience fellowship with Him, and really the joy of following Christ. And we know that 1 John was written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, Jesus' beloved, who witnessed all of his ministry. And he went on to be a church planter and pastor in Ephesus for many years, as well as around Asia Minor. And he's writing to these churches that are seemingly facing lots of trouble from the inside and out of the church, and particularly theological dangers false beliefs that were being taught by false teachers, contrary to the gospel, that were bringing in doubts and fears into the believers in the church. And so they were becoming fearful and uncertain of what they had become a part of, and John is writing to calm their fears. And I think we need to be reassured too, right? This is a good message for us, that as he's calming their fears, he wants to reassure us of what the gospel message is and that we are included 
in it so that we can cling to the gospel and with certainty. Maybe you've had this experience uh, when you were younger. Maybe something came into your life as a kid where you began to feel uncertain about it, and your parents were able to speak into that in a way that brought certainty. I can remember as a kid in 1988, there was this book that came out on 88 reasons why the world was going to end in 88. Didn't happen, right? But I remember this became very popular in the church, and even on the news they were talking about this, and there came the day where the world was supposed to end, and I was kind of (laughs) scared, as we should be, right? But my mom pulled me aside and said, look, if we have made Jesus Lord, then we have nothing to fear, right? And the Bible has also told us that no one knows the day or the time when this is going to happen. And so I doubt this will happen today. But if it does, right, we can trust that Jesus is good. And my fears were put aside. And then the guy put out another book, 89 Reasons, while Jesus will turn in 89. He left off one, I guess. And so it's the certainty that John is trying to do. As a good father in the faith, John wants to calm our fears, remind us of the basics, give us things that let us know that we have included ourselves in Christ so that we can be sure. And this is good. As John writes in 1 John 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Certainty in the gospel. And so John has written an orderly account, easy to understand, reiterating the basics so that all of us that read can believe and have confidence. And so this morning we're going to look at John's brilliant introduction here in 1 John verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to read this. In fact, I'd encourage you, let's stand this morning as we read this because this is a really great couple of verses. Here's what John says to us. We'll read it and then we'll talk about three things that he says He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be seated. So John really has three things to point out to us. The first one is this, the reality of the gospel. Okay, look at verses 1 and 2. This is the reality of the gospel. And he makes a couple of important distinctions as he tells us about this. 1 John 1.1 says, that which was from the beginning. Okay, here he's got this whole couple of verses, a beautiful couple of verses about the word of life. And he's saying this word of life, it was from the very beginning. And he's not just talking about his time with Jesus from the beginning of his time with Jesus or from the time that Jesus was born. He's saying all the way back in eternity past, this word of life was there from the beginning. It's always existed. It's much like John 1.1 in his gospel where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
So John, in his gospel, and in 1 John, wants to remind us of the eternal nature of Christ. He he is God. He has always been God. He will always be God. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is a non-negotiable basic of the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord and God and has been so forever. Now, he does the most amazing thing here. I love 1 John for this reason. I love these couple of verses right here in, in the first verse. Look at what he says, that this, this eternal Christ, get this, this eternal Christ from all of eternity past, right, has been made known to John's senses. <laughs> Look at this. This word of life that was from the beginning, which we have heard, right, with our ears. We've seen him with our eyes. And we've touched him with our hands. Listen, this is an amazing statement. That this spiritual being from all eternity past has become physical and real and tangible. You can hear him, see him, and give him a hug, as John did many times. He has engaged with our senses. John is reminding us this morning that this story about Jesus, listen, this is not some pie in the sky. It's not some nursery rhyme to teach you about good morals and ethics. But he's saying this is a historical event that I witnessed. I saw it. I heard it. I touched this guy. He's real. And he's God. God himself, I've seen him, I've heard him, I've touched him. Everything I told you about Jesus, I witnessed it all. And believe you me, it's real. That's what he wants to say. Don't get sidetracked for false teachers claiming something else about Jesus, that he's not real or that, that he's not God. No, he's real, I saw him. And in the age of our skepticism that needs a lot of proof... <laughs> that wants to see and touch and feel things, John says, I've done it, believe me. Right? With AI, you know, I, I, when you're on the Internet, you never know what pictures are real anymore. You kind of always have to discern things. And if you aren't there, you don't really know if it's real or not because they can make anything look any way. And we feel that way sometimes about the life of Christ, that maybe it's this ancient and mythic thing that we don't understand, or maybe it wasn't even real, but we have witnesses that say, I've seen it, I've heard it, and I've touched it. Believe me, it's real. It's kind of like when you meet a famous person, right? You ever met a famous person? Like you kind of see them on TV and you go, it doesn't seem like they're real. They're kind of a fixture And then when you see them in in real life, you're like, no, actually, they're like a real person. They were normal. I saw them eat lunch. I saw them buy some stuff. (laughs) One time I met Spike Lee. Thank you. Me and Spike Lee hung out. I was in Nashville at the end of my high school career. Me and my friends were in the local climbing shop, and we were checking out climbing gear, and they knew us. So we were behind the counter, and we're looking at things, and this guy walks up to us, who was Spike Lee, and... We were kind of shocked, like, what in the world's going on right now in this climbing store that I would never think to see Spike Lee in with his Malcolm X hat and everything. And he was on the Million Man March, if you remember that, where they were taking the bus tour around the country. And he happened to be in Nashville. And Spike Lee came up to me and said, do you guys work here? We said, no, but we're here a lot, so can we help you? He said, well, yes. Can you help me find some long underwear? 
So I took Spike Lee and showed him where the long underwear was. That was our interaction. He calls me when he's got big needs. So, um, But this is what it's like, right? I can tell you Spike Lee's a real person. I met him. <laughs> Random as that is. And I had a friend who was with me, right? And every time I'd tell this story, my friend would say, yeah, that's right, I saw it, I witnessed it. This happened. And that's what John is doing. He's saying, believe me, because I've seen that Jesus is real, right? An eyewitness account. In fact, we believe the gospel now based on the many eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. There was the 12 disciples, and then there were several hundred that saw him after he was raised from the grave. You know, Jesus even prays for us that we believe uh, we believe on these accounts. John 17, 20 through 21, he prays for all of us that will believe based on the disciples' words that we would have fellowship with him and the Father. Isn't that cool? That Jesus prayed for us in John 17, knowing that we would believe based on the witness of his disciples. And in John 20, 29, he calls us blessed that have not seen him with our eyes, but yet we have believed, right? We know that the Bible goes on to, to point us to the fact that one day our faith will become sight. But we have great evidence to believe that this happened. We have eyewitness accounts that tell us, that have said, I have seen, I have heard, I have ate with, I have hugged, I have cried with this Jesus and he is real. And not only that, there are many of you in this room that can, can account to the fact that you have met Jesus. He's transformed your life. In fact, I, I want you to see this. This morning, and I've heard this, right? I mean, I hear, get to the blessing of hearing stories all the time. People saved from addiction, deep sin, sorrow that Jesus met them in their point of need, and joy without reason and suffering and hope for the future, right? So many people will testify the fact that Jesus has met me, <laughs> and I can't wait to see it. In fact, this morning, if, if Jesus has transformed your life, would you just raise your hand, right? Look around the room. All these people would be witnesses added to John and all the guys that got to hug and see him, right? Jesus prayed for us that through his witness, we'd be transformed by the gospel, and one day we get to see Jesus. And so we have a decision to make, right, as we talk about the reality of the gospel. Again, in our modern world, we tend to make stories of Jesus seem ancient and mythic, far removed and maybe unreal. But John is saying the gospel is a historical reality, and you have a decision to make. This Jesus was real. He did real things. He healed people. He claimed to be God. He is God. Are you going to believe in him? That's the decision. That's John's word to us this morning. You should believe in Jesus because I saw him. He's real. Are you going to do it? You know, this morning as we take communion in a little bit, we have an opportunity, if we haven't made Jesus Lord, to make him Lord. To confess him for the first time and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Would you be my Lord? I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. And in fact, we take these physical elements, the body, the, the bread and the wine, these physical elements. God gave us this, this uh, ordinance so that we could, we could remember tangibly that this thing was real, right? 
This is why we take these physical ailments, so that we remember the reality of the gospel as we commit ourselves to him. He also points out here as he talks about the reality of the gospel in verse 2, that the life was made manifest, that we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. Notice what John says about Jesus here. He's called him the word of life. He also says he's the eternal life. Okay, This is not talking about eternal life in general. He's saying Jesus is the eternal life. That Jesus, by nature of his divine nature, is eternal. His life goes on forever. As we learned in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this eternal life has been made known to us. This is why those of us that unite ourselves to Christ can have eternal life, because He is eternal life. And when we join Him by the power of His life, we will then live forever. As one commentator put it, He is both the cause and the effect of our eternal life. He is eternal life. He lives forever. And as we join Him, He affects our life to go on forever. This is why eternal life is to know Him. And this is why many of us come to Jesus, right? We want eternal life. I don't want to die. I want to go on. In fact, this is why what I asked my mom when I became a Christian, how do I go to heaven, mom? How do I live forever? And she told me the gospel. And this eternal life is sure because Jesus' life will go on and it gives us confidence insecurity even in the face of death that we have hope because his life endures. Now, in verse 2, John also points us to the fact that Jesus was with the Father, which really leads us to the second thing that he highlights about the gospel. Okay, the goal of the gospel. We talked about the reality of the gospel. Jesus is real, as John's claiming. Secondly, here he shows us the goal of the gospel, and this is restored fellowship with God. Look at what it says in verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I love what John is saying here because he's getting at the heart of the gospel message. I think sometimes we miss this. What God has done in Christ is ultimately about restored fellowship with God. Think about this for a second. This is the story of humanity, right? We rebelled against God in the garden. We decided to take God off his throne and put ourselves in his place to be king of our lives. We've run and rebelled against him, and so God in his holiness had to separate us from himself. We were broken in our fellowship. And the history of humanity is one of rebelling against God and trying to take things for ourselves. God casts us out. All the pain and agony of this life finds it in the sin of our rebellion that goes on and on and multiplies and runs into one another. And yet, God sent His Son, right? The Word of life, the eternal life, the new Adam to redeem humanity. This is what we begin to celebrate in this season, that Christ came to die and pay this, the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we could be made holy to do what? To be in fellowship with God. That's the whole point. This is the whole reason. 
The coming of the Son, the sacrifice on the cross, has its final goal, your restored fellowship with God. God wants to be with you. This is what God has done for you. He wants you to be in fellowship with Him because He loves you. It's like a good father that chased down his wayward son, right? This is why the parable of the the prodigal son is so poignant because it shows us God's great love to chase us down just so He could be in fellowship with us. Who cares about the stuff and the sins? I want you. And I've made a way. And notice that we also often also forget this isn't just a relationship with Christ. We talk about that a lot. But he says this is with the Father also. This is with God. 1 John 2.23, later he's going to tell us, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Right? This is our fellowship with God. This is why we pray. Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 5, 9 through 13. Pray to the Father in my name in the power of the Spirit. This is fellowship with the Godhead. This is what he wants for us. Let me just remind you, Christianity is not about self-help, right? God does help us, but it's not about self-help. It's not about blessing, though being in God's presence brings blessing, right? It's not about anything else but the restored fellowship with God himself. This is eternal life. So the question is, are you in fellowship with God? That's a good diagnostic for our Christian lives. Do you spend time with God? This is meant to be the whole goal. A Christian spends time with God. It's restored fellowship with Him. How are you doing? Spending time with Him. This is what He wants. He wants you. You know, this week as we began Lent, I, I changed up and renewed my kind of devotional life, and it's been so sweet to spend dedicated time with the Father, right? To pray to Him, to confess sins, to bring Him my burdens, right? To listen to Him, to hear His Word. This is what He wants in a Christian relationship is that we are with Him. We're spending time with Him. But also notice this. This is also not just fellowship with the Father and the Son. It's fellowship with other believers. First John in one three, there he said, he, he proclaims the gospel to us so that we may have fellowship with Him and other believers as they fellowship with the Father and the Son. I want you to see this. Christian fellowship is an essential outworking of the gospel. Okay? It's a basic of the Christian life. I was reading just the other week, Her- Herman Bavnik, a famous theologian, he, he says this, that participation in the lives of others as well as with God the Father and God the Son is the mark of the church, right? Fellowship is the goal, and it's the mark of the church. You know, we, I just had two of my best friends here last week that came because they wanted to see me uh, installed here as, as pastor. And um, they came because we have such great fellowship together. But I want I want you to see that one of them I've known since the third grade. One of them I've known since the seventh grade. And these are, you know, these are unlikely relationships that last this long. But I think our relationship has lasted this long because it began in the church. <laughs> we grew up together in the church. 
And so our fellowship together is not just about the friendship we have, but it's also about what God has done in our life and what we celebrate together as we fellowship with the Son. And so they came to see me and to support me, but they also came to celebrate what God is doing. (laughs) And so as we fellowshiped, we fellowshiped with the Father and the Son about all that God has done in our life. You know, we have this myth, talking about false teaching, as John's speaking, we have this myth that has grown in modern evangelicalism that you can be a Christian apart from the church, (laughs) that you can be a Christian on your own. More and more people in our world and our country claim to be spiritual and yet are connected to no religious institution or body or church. And I understand, right? The myth has grown because people have been hurt in church. That happens. Myth has grown because we misuse spiritual authority sometimes and abuse people. and breeds distrust. And the myth has grown because false teachers that have promised some new level of spiritual freedom apart from the body that God is saving. And yes, it's true in one sense. You can be a Christian apart from the church. Lots of people around the world, they are Christians and they have no church to be a part of in places that are barely reached. But these Christians would jump at the chance to get with one other believer to fellowship and worship God together. And this is one of the basics of Christianity. In fact, these people would risk their lives just to fellowship with another believer as they fellowship with God. Because fellowship with the saints as they fellowship with God is a basic of Christianity. The church is God's best plan for the growth of us as believers and to make the gospel known to the world. This is why he calls it the bride of Christ, his special relationship in all the world. Matthew 16, 18 says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so these myths will pass away just like all the others have. Have to remember that God's church is the best plan for how to grow you in Christ. And I can think of my own life, how God has changed me and grown me, challenged me, and helped me to persevere because I was with a body of believers that walked alongside with me. And not only that, but get this, God has indwelled each one of us who are believers with his Holy Spirit, and when you come in this place, you get a tangible, physical reality, the embodiment of Christ that can love you and other believers. And we experience the fellowship of God through others as we extend grace and forgiveness to one another. Ever felt that? As we bear with each other's burdens and sorrows. As we celebrate victories and blessings, as we generally extend love to one another. As John 13, 35 said, they will know us by our love. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, you have fellowship with him and you don't have fellowship with his people, that's not right. God wants us to have fellowship with each other as we fellowship with him. Make yourself known. Be a part of his body. Fellowship and see what God does in your life and enjoy fellowship with Him along the way. As we come to a time of communion, you know, we said this about the reality of Christ, but this is also true of our fellowship. This ordinance is about fellowship, right? That we get to spend time with God and remember what He's done for us, 
But also he calls us to examine this body and say, what's my relationship like with them? Because we are together saying that we are going to follow him. In fact, he says, examine ourselves in our body and get right relationships in this room that are not right as you come to the table. So John has proclaimed the historical reality of Christ come to earth. He's shown us, right, that the goal of the gospel is fellowship here. And then in the last verse here, he tells us the blessing of the gospel, and we'll look at this. John, 1 John 1, 4. He says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, now there's a little bit of debate on this verse, exactly how to render it. Like the, the King James has it this way in 1 John 1, 4. It says, And these things write we unto you, thanks for saying it backwards, that your joy may be full. So there he was talking about our joy, and now he's talking about your joy. And I like how the NLT puts it. I think this gets to the heart of it. It says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. Okay? So the blessing of the gospel is that we would have joy in our life as we fellowship with the Son because of His work to restore us to the Father. We get the gospel and we make Jesus our Lord and join the community of believers that are following him. The blessing we get is joy. And there's no doubt that there's joy in sharing the gospel, right? If we believe this is the greatest message, it's a great joy to share it. I love to share the gospel, right? Because of what it needs, what it means. The world needs the gospel message and to experience God's love. But we also get joy as we participate in it. We experience the joy with all those who believe. And this is not a plastic joy, right? That kind of a happy, clappy, smiley face that you put on just to make everyone happy. But the joy Jesus speaks about is a deep down certainty that I am loved by God and that He will be with me throughout whatever I face. That I can take joy because He will see me through it and I have a great hope of a good future with Him forever. Endeavor. And it's been a great joy to serve Jesus as a pastor. It's been a great joy. The gospel has been a great joy to me, even in the darkest moments of my life, because I knew God was with me. And it's been a great joy to sit and just worship Christ with you. Right? This is the joy of the gospel that we get to enjoy as He brings us into fellowship with Him. Band, you can come on up. If you're here this morning and don't know God, and maybe joy seems far off, then I would invite you to come and experience the everlasting joy that Christ is offering us in restored fellowship with Him and the Father. He wants you to come in and find joy. He wants your sins to be taken care of. He wants the chains of our sins to be broken. He wants to walk with you through all the sorrows of life and give you a hope of eternal life with Him. And that brings joy, right? John, in, John, in John's gospel, Jesus says this to us in 1511. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If you're looking for joy this morning, this is the blessing of the gospel. As we give our life to Christ, there is joy to be had throughout all our life and into all eternity.
Let's join with him in fellowship this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, that, that you went out of your way to rescue us from our rebellion. That Jesus, the word of life, the eternal life, God of the past ages of eternity past, because of his great love for us, was willing to step in and save us, to erase our sins, Lord, to die for us. God, we are so thankful that you would do such a work so that we could have fellowship with you. Lord, I pray as we come to this time of communion that you would meet us, that we would have fellowship with you by your Spirit. That as we take these physical elements that remind us that Jesus was real, a real body and real blood, as we take them in and commune with you spiritually, Father, I pray you would meet us. Forgive us afresh of our sins. Let us taste the grace that you freely bestow. And Lord, may we do it together as a body that loves you. God, bring us joy even in this moment. In Christ's name we pray.